Hey everyone, it's Blake, and welcome in to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we welcome back our friend Steve Cook to discuss uh, our favorite Survivor Series teams in WWE history. Steve and I go through and break down and rank our top 10 individual ones. And yes, we have some that are a little bit of the same. Uh, We have some different ones, but uh, lots of different Survivor Series teams discussed uh, in our rankings And we also talk a little bit about the Selena Vega situation uh, at the end of the podcast, uh, talking about her release, uh, where things go from here for other talent, and just uh, the state of how WWE is approaching uh, this entire situation uh, with their third-party policy and all of that. So, uh, great discussion as always with Steve, focused mostly around Survivor Series and and some of our favorite teams from uh, the history of Survivor Series. So, lots of good nostalgia in here if you're someone who wants to uh, reminisce on some of uh, the great moments in Survivor Series history and some of the best teams. So let's go ahead and jump into uh, the conversation with 411's Steve Cook. All right, as promised, uh, our guest today is once again Steve Cook, back uh, yet again here on the podcast as uh, we have something very exciting uh, in store, as I mentioned in the intro. But uh, Steve, are you ready for uh, this ultimate uh, Survivor Series ranking here of the teams? Because uh, I have a feeling you and I are not going to have any of this year's Survivor Series teams on any of our top ten. Well, we don't know. Do we know any of the teams fully yet? Uh, okay, yeah, Team Raw, I guess. We know the, the male Team Raw. And no, male Team Raw did not make my list. Yeah, it's not on my list either. And I will say I don't think there are any Team Raws uh, here from the past, however many years it's been now, uh, that are on my top ten. I will say that uh, up front. All right, let's start with this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to count it down from 10. So Steve's going to start. We're going to start with his number 10, and we're just going to alternate all the way to number 1. Um, and I think one, one thing I want to throw out here, Steve, and I don't know if you have this on your list, because if you do, it's fine, but I want to point out. I did not include the uh, the mega tag team teams from, like, the late 80s on there. So what was that, 87, 88? I think you had the just the massive tag team matches where you had like seven tag teams on one side. It was like a 50-man <laughs> elimination yeah, match. And, and they did it once or twice also in the last few years. They yeah. also had like the tag team stuff. And No, I don't have any of those on my list because when I look at those teams from top to bottom, there's always like one or two teams that's kind of iffy. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. Yeah. Like, I can't really see putting these guys on there. Like, I mean... God bless you if you like Lokisa Conquistadors, but uh, they're not going to be on my list. <laughs> that was the example I was going to bring up. I was going to say, Conquistadors were probably that team that, that, although I think they made it to the finish of the one. They did. 87 They had a nice long run. Yeah. I think it's 87. <laughs> they had a nice long run in that match, much to the surprise of everybody. And I think that was, was that also a year where um, the Rougeos and the British Bulldogs were on the same team after... Jacques had uh, sucker punched Dynamite yeah. Kid. <laughs> I think that, that was that may have been '88. I, I need yeah. to look back at that one, but yes, that was which, uh, yeah, which is which got a lot better in my eyes once I heard about the whole story. Yes, no, they were. Uh, it's it's interesting to think about that when they were when they were in the ring together. Like they were actually pretty good. I remember they had the uh, the tag team match, and uh, oh, it's yes, it's good stuff. So we'll let you. You're, you're the guest here. We're gonna let you start first, Steve, uh, with your number ten choice. And I will just bring up. Uh, we'll just kind of keep going through these, and we'll probably have the same ones on some of these, but we'll just bring them up when we get to them on our list. So your number ten starts things off. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you straight up that uh, there's gonna be quite uh, a representation from 1989 on my list yes. because I was watching primetime wrestling uh, not too long ago which uh, currently leads up 1989 i think they might have added some more on the network not sure but i think uh, they did 
Yeah, I think it's off to get back on that. But uh, I was digging that uh, 1989 Survivor Series build. And one of the most interesting teams to me from that particular show, uh, known as Rowdy's Roddies. Mm, yes. Yeah, Rowdy's Roddies. Yes, it was, of course, Hot Rod, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, the Bushwhackers, Luke and Butch. You know, I mean, when you think Rowdy, you think the Bushwhackers. Right. And then another guy who's completely out there. And a man with an interesting history of Roddy Piper, say the least, the, least, the uh, Superfly, Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> it was a collection of characters, to say the least. I mean, there's, there's four guys. I mean, they're just, you want to talk about nuts, talk about crazy folks, talk about Rowdy. Yeah, those guys uh, fit the bill. They, I'm pretty sure they didn't win their match at Survivor Series, but... I don't care about that part. That that's they're they're still making the list. Yeah, they um they faced a team at that Survivor Series in '89 that's going to be very high on my list. I'm just going to tell you right now. Spoiler alert: um, the the team they faced, which I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this now know who that is, but I'm not going to say it yet. Um, but it will get mentioned here. But yes, I, I love their the promos too. Of course, you just know that you got Piper, you've got Snuka, you've got the Bushwhackers. Um, yeah, this was just when things were All nuts. <laughs> yes, and in like, a good way too. It's a good way. Good crazy because sometimes crazy can be kind of annoying and you know tough to watch. But this this was the good crazy. Let's just point out too, like with '89, and we'll have some, I'm sure, with um, some of the other. I have one from '87. I think I have two from '87 on here. But uh, this was also when Vince McMahon was just the the promos leading up to this, like him just screaming these out, like in the the early part of the show, like he's just introducing everyone and he's just screaming their names. Like, just, that was insane, too. So, uh, I wish he still did that. Maybe that would add a little bit of... One of my uh, favorite things Vince ever did back in the day was he would, for especially, for like the Royal Rumble, the Royal Rumble is great for that, too. Yeah. Because he would just be screaming every single name in that match. <laughs> of course, WrestleMania and all that. Just great stuff from Vince. Yeah. Haku! Like, he would, Haku would, uh, he would take him five minutes to complete uh, Haku, I think. And so, uh, yeah, he, he was great when he did that. All right, my number 10 is uh, a team that had some dysfunction. Uh, not surprising, giving uh, two of the, the overall, uh, well, the main players, I guess, probably in this one. I went back to what was a terrible show, 1994 Survivor Series, like just a just an awful show. Um, but I'm going to pick the Teamsters just because of the accumulation of talent that they had on the Teamsters, which was Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, Jim, the Anvil, Neidhart. Um, I, I don't, again, that show was bad and there, I mean, this team even lost because I think you had, what was it? Uh, Michaels and Diesel had their thing and, uh, yeah, they but, had a falling out, which led to a uh, diesel winning the title not too long afterwards. Yeah. So that was one of those where I think you just, you look at the accumulation of talent and I'm like, man, there's a lot of, uh, talent on here. And, uh, it was, it was a unique pairing just because you did have, you know, you had Michaels and Owen and, you know, Jarrett's in there and there's just uh, lots of interesting. So, so I'm going to go with them at number 10. I almost thought that I may have underrated them a bit, but I don't know. Just that, that 94 one, just one that kind of stands out to me is like, oof, it wasn't great. Well, I don't know. I mean, the main event did did feature the immortal Chuck Chuck Norris. Yeah, that that is true. I always forget about the main event because I'm like I'm thinking Survivor Series. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that was the match with Chuck Norris. Yeah, course, oh, then then Bret Hart and Bob back when I was at like a 95 minute submission. At least it felt that long anyway. Yeah, that one went 30 plus minutes uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, I I went with that one again. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of one of those teams that talent wise they're there. All right, number nine, yours. 
Number nine, uh, you mentioned how you didn't have any Team Raws on your list. Uh, I do have one Team Raw on my list here from 2016. I just I couldn't turn it down because the, the collection of talent on this team and some storytelling on it going on at the time as well. You had big old Braun Strowman, who had yet to kind of establish himself as the monster among men, but he was working his way up the ranks, becoming a force we reckon with. Then you had uh, good old Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens. This yep. was back when they were doing their big uh, friendship deal, and just one of the great friendships in wrestling history that unfortunately didn't last. Uh, didn't last. It lasted a few months longer. That's uh, just you know, we. It's tough to talk about now, honestly. Still, the emotion behind that breakup is still kind of tough for me to deal with. <laughs> in addition, to those men you also had uh, two former Shield members in Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Yeah. And as, as I recall, they, they did wind up coming up a little bit short, and I believe that uh, Jericho and Owens blamed uh, Reigns and Rollins for it. So Makes sense. There you go. But I, I, I was just looking at teams from top to bottom, and uh, that one's a pretty darn difficult one to argue with. I'm not sure who the who you would call the weak link there. Yeah, that's pretty. I had that on my honorable mention. I had five on my honorable mention ones, and I'm, I won't even bring them up until we get done just to see if you have some of these. And I may just kind of mention it if you add some of these. But I did have two Team Raws on my honorable mention. I had that one, and I had the one from 2017, which uh, was, I think it was Triple H, Kurt Angle, Strowman, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor. But I mean, I guess Triple H in 2017, maybe, maybe he's the weakest link on that one. Or Angle, I guess, is probably <laughs> with 2017. But um, I, yeah. I remember hating the booking of that match show because it was sad. Yeah, ugh, <laughs> it was, that was brutal. Anything, well, anything featuring Triple H wrestling in the past five years or so, it's just been <laughs> brutally booked. It's terrible. Yeah, I was gonna say that's why I at first I was like, man, that's a lot of talent. But I thought back, I was like, yeah, this wasn't great. Uh, so yeah, I left them off my list too. But that that's a good one. I didn't even think about you know that putting that one. I, I had it on my honorable mention, but I was like 2016. Uh, it's, again, some of the stuff too runs together, and I'm just thinking back to like, man, I these last five years have been tough <laughs> to figure out. Some of these run together uh, with that. All right, number nine. I think you're going to have this one higher on your list, and I think maybe my, like you, I have a lot of 80s ones that are going to be pretty much towards the top of this list, uh, but I have this one at number nine, and that is Team Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, John Cena, Rob Van Dam, Big Show, 2004. Um, I just thought, I mean, again, if you're talking about stacking talent, that's a pretty stacked uh, deal there with uh, just everyone involved. I mean, Eddie in 2004, well-documented. Uh, Cena, 2004, same thing. Uh, I know RVD even then was still in Big Show, you know, kind of what that. So I, I thought that was a really fun team, uh, the 2004 Survivor Series. Yeah, um, I forget if we already decided if we're going to just uh... – because I do have that team a little bit higher on my list. We can just say that. We can just kind of tease it that you're going to have them higher, and then we'll get to them when we get there. But okay, yeah, and then, then I'll talk more about it later because I have another reason why I ranked them so high, which we will get Interesting. to. Interesting. That's a teaser. Teaser. We're going to put that. Uh, if you want to skip ahead, you'll see that in the show <laughs> notes, the timestamps. <laughs> uh, all right, number eight on your side. Well, possibly the most important uh, Survivor Series of all time might have been in 2001. Which, yes. of course, had a big blow-off to the invasion with the, the WWF taking on the Alliance. And if you're wondering why the WWF wound up winning the whole thing, because well, other than it's WWF, duh. <laughs> uh, you take a look at this team that they put together for their, their big winner-take-all match. I mean, you got The Rock. You got Chris Jericho. You got Undertaker. You got Kane. You got Big Show. Folks, there is, there's not a weak link there. I mean, maybe, I guess you call Big Show maybe kind of, you know, Big Show has, has ups and downs th- through the years. 
2001 maybe was not one of his better years, but that's still a big old 500-pound Haas to have on your team. And, of course, Rock was on fire. And, uh, you know, Taker and Kane were together as a brothers of destruction. They were getting along fine. Jericho was uh, his approaching point where he'd become the undisputed champion. So it's easy to see why the WWF came out on top when, when that's the team they're rolling out there. And the Alliance was dumb enough to have Shane McMahon on their team. I mean, come on, man. You, you just got to do better than putting yourself in the match. I mean, I, I, I didn't, never understood that part. I was just about to say, I was going to bring that up. I was going to say, all right, so Team WWF, you've got The Rock, Jericho, Undertaker, Kane, Big Show. The Alliance, you had Austin, Angle, Rob Van Dam, Booker T, and Shane McMahon. Like, there's one person in there that stands out like a sore thumb, uh, and I think it's pretty clear that it's uh, it's got to be Rob Van Dam, right? It's not Shane. Uh, and it wow. also annoyed me with the Alliance booking, of course, that Austin and Angle were the focal points when... Yeah. Even the, I mean, yeah, Austin was in ECW, in ECW. Nobody thought of him as anything other than WWF guy. Yeah. And Kurt Angle, obviously WWF guy, and it was just kind of, it just kind of showed the way they booked that whole thing, where uh, they brought in all these newer guys. They didn't bring in the big names, and at a certain point they just decided, okay, these guys aren't getting over, so we're just gonna put Austin in front of it, and yeah, that's one of the many reasons why the thing didn't quite work out. The uh, the high point of the alliance had to be the first night, and then I think from there everything sort of uh, went backwards a little bit. Oh, when ECW came out, <laughs> that was great. But then when ECW announced that their new owner was Stephanie McMahon, that, yes. that sunk it. No, you it was say, done <laughs> You had that first, like, I can remember, like, it's one of those wrestling moments. Like, I remember exactly where I was watching that Raw. Like, I was like, man, this is incredible. And then after that, as you said, it just sort of uh, started started going backwards a bit. Uh, yeah, but I will go ahead and say um, I have that one higher on my list as well. So we'll get to them, uh, my list here in a bit. Uh, all right, my number eight, man. What a what a group here! And uh, if you take out Brutus to Barber Beach, well, no, if you take out Hacksaw Jim Duggan, I guess. But uh, 1987, it was uh, Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Duggan, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat. Uh, 1987 Survivor Series. I mean, that team right there. My goodness, like that's a that's a group. And uh, I remember back. I think they they beat the team, which was uh, not a great team on the other side. They beat uh, Honky Tonk Man, uh, Hercules, Harley Race, uh, Danny Davis, and Ron Bass. Uh, but wow, what a group that is! Like that's sort of your. I mean, obviously Savage won the you know he won the the WWE title and was a, a main event guy. But all these guys like just had that sort of. I don't know. Like they they are just like your. I don't know what the best way to put it. Like, they're your WWF, like, late 80s guys. Like, all these guys. Like, they're in this group with Beefcake, Jake, Duggan, Savage, and Steamboat. Uh, this was just, this was quite a team here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a team I have a lot higher on my list because mm. I'm a I'm a fan of these guys. I mean, the Macho Man, the Dragon, the Snake, I mean, Hacksaw, you know, Brood. And I don't mean denigrate Bruce Beefcake too much because obviously not on the level of these other guys. But if you go back and watch those shows around this time, that man was over. Yeah. The barber was an over character. People liked him. Yeah. He was Popular the, man. He was never my favorite either. But uh, I was the one that got pissed off whenever he beat Perfect at WrestleMania. And I was like, oh, come on. This is just, man, not my guy Perfect. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's all right. Perfect's going to get the the better of him here in our rankings because his team's higher. Uh, from uh, one of his groups. so There you have it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all that matters, right? All right, uh, down to your number seven. 
we're going to uh, 1993. I remember this is this is a pay-per-view that as a child I was very excited about. And uh, I was very sad that my parents wouldn't fork over the 29.95 or whatever the hell it was to watch it. Because, I don't know, I was, I was all about some of these matches. And uh, and some of them don't age very well. 1993 WWF doesn't age very well in general. But uh, when you take a look at the main event of the show, you had the, uh, the foreign fanatics taking on the All-Americans. You take a look at the roster of the all the All Americans. You got main the USA Lex Luger, of course. I mean, he, the total package. The man is all about America at this point in time. You had the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, of course. It, it's still, it's weird. Anytime you see the Steiner brothers on the WWF card, it's like that's that 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 doesn't compute. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's been that way for Scott Steiner's whole career, where it feels like WWE was one place where Scott Steiner didn't work. Right. Everywhere else, he was great. But uh, whatever reason, he just, he never connected with this particular company. And then I remember originally that Tatanka was supposed to be the fourth All-American. He was taken out of action by Ludwig Borga in the build-up to the show. <laughs> and he couldn't go. He couldn't compete. So uh, Luger and Steiners pulled a rabbit out of their hats, and they got themselves the Undertaker, the dead man. Yes. And I remember to this day when they did the big interview, and they, the Undertaker comes out. And the Undertaker, he raises his his robe, his his jacket, and like on the inside, you see an American flag. It's like hell yes, <laughs> that is America right there. And of course, later on, Undertaker become the American badass. We all know about his uh, about his patriotic credentials these days. So, but I mean, that's a strong foursome right there: Luger, Undertaker, Steiners. Yeah, they they were on my honorable mention list, so I did have them um, in there, but I I don't know, I just found these other teams. But yeah, like you said, I remember back to to that show, and of course, I think the everybody sort of remembers the uh, the match with the the Hart family, and of course, Sean and the Knights and all that other stuff. It seems yes. like seems like that's the one that gets talked about a lot, but people sort of forget about this uh, as the main event uh, with Luger and kind of where he was at at that point. But uh, yeah, that that was pretty interesting with that one. Of course, you said the Foreign Fanatics crush. Um, yeah, Jock in there, Borga and Yokozuna. Uh, there's a there's an interesting. Yes, I, I recall Pierre got taken out in the build up. They did they did some uh, they did some angles leading up to the show where people got taken out and. Uh, I want to say that Crush was a replacement there. Yeah, I think that's right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah so because that was around the time where Crush had turned on um, on Macho Man. That was an interesting time period. I want to go back and watch some of that because I know some Lots of, of stuff it was going just, on. Yeah. Some of it was terrible, but they actually had some pretty interesting stories in terms of where things went. Um, yeah, that Savage Crushing was a really interesting story, even though I mean. It's kind of weird. It's, I'm sure it, it's got to be the best thing Brian Adams ever did. I mean, yeah, yeah. unless you can think of something. Well, that's probably it because uh, it certainly wasn't uh, Undertaker and Kane versus Chronic at uh, Unforgiven 2001. Whoa, whoa, uh, boy. Uh, you talk about it. Listen, I said earlier you talk about a match that uh, I knew where I was when I watched that match. I knew where I was when I watched that one too because uh, probably not for the good reasons. For different reasons, yes, completely. Yes, completely different. But uh, yes, uh, but yeah, I, I would agree. Probably, probably a good good point of his career. Uh, there for crush all right my number seven uh this team and look just as as you said um you know in the 80s uh 89 just one of those years where these were all my guys like you know i love these guys and i know one of them uh you know was the ultimate baby face and i am going with the hulkamaniacs at number seven uh hogan jake roberts axe and smashed i love demolition 
I know everybody talks about demolition when it comes to the uh, the Road Warriors and all this other stuff, and I'm not saying, you know, that they were better than the Road Warriors or anything like that, but I just, I love these guys. And so I look back at this team, and I'm just like, man, look at all this group. It's such interesting, like, I think anytime Hogan teamed with anyone, it's like, oh, yeah, like Hogan and Jake and Hogan and Axe and Smash, and uh, I don't know. It was almost like he was dealing, teaming with three guys who were pretty much ultimate heels at times, but uh, still, I just thought this was a, this was a hell of a team here between uh, Hogan, Jake, and the demolition. Well, we can go ahead and do a seamless transition right now because <laughs> my number six team yes. just happens to be Hulk Hogan, Jake Roberts, and demolition. Look at this. So there you go. Seamless transition, right? Pretty good. Perfect. Pretty good. I liked it because I don't recall any other times where Hulk Hogan, Jake Roberts ever teamed up. Yeah. I don't think that happened elsewise. I remember, and we remember when they were going to have a feud, and uh, there's the, the whole business where jake ddt'd hulk hogan and apparently the fans liked it they ch- they chanted ddt <laughs> and uh hulk hogan kind of put the x now in that whole program that wasn't going to happen so that's i mean other than that that's the only time they ever interacted and you know hulk hogan was able to trust jake roberts here and the x and smash were at the height of their powers here and we all know yes uh, they were a derivative of the road warriors slash legion of doom but uh, no, unlike a lot of those teams that were just too painted up roid guys and weren't very good, <laughs> you got Bill Eady there. Bill Eady can work. Yep. Barry Darso could work. I mean, these are two guys who could who could put it together. And the only problem I have with with it today is when you look back now, it's a it's the the wardrobe's a little too uh, a little too uh, weird kind of you yeah. know weird stuff going on for me. It's a little a little. Kind of stuff you see in certain kind of kinds of films, if you get my drift. Yeah, it's, uh, if you go back and look at some of that stuff, uh, definitely from that area. It, w- it wasn't just them; there was a lot of them. Uh, probably you could have yeah. said so. <laughs> great face paint, though. They, they always had uh, great face. I loved, I loved the entrance music. Like they were, I love those guys. Like oh this, yeah, the, the entrance music too. Oh, mm-hmm. so, it was uh, that was a team. Three good theme songs here too with the yeah. Maniacs. That's true. I, I, I was hoping we'd get that joke, uh, that uh, that Jake and Hogan. A few just never happened, but like you said, there was a reason why uh, for that. All right, that's yours. Like you said, you, we easily transition into your number six. Uh, I will go to mine, and we're going to stay in the 80s here. We're going to go back to the uh, main event, the very first Survivor Series, the winners of the very first main event. This is one of those teams that I sort of forgot about until I went back and looked around, and I was like, how did I forget about this team? Because it was the first Survivor Series, um, and this was, you know, Hogan was running wild, but Andre the Giant, Rick Rude, King Kong Bundy, Butch Reed, and One Man Gang. You talk about a team of heels. Holy, (laughs) like that team right there. You have got just a complete, like these are five guys I I think I'd put up against anyone, like just with the team itself. Um, My goodness, they were just, I mean, what a roster. And, of course, you got, the thing is, too, you had Heenan and Slick. So those were the managers that were involved with that team. Like, this is just, I feel like I should even put this team a little bit higher uh, because I, I've got them at six, but holy cow, like, this is just, what a squad here of just heels, just roughhouse guys that are going to try to just beat the shit out of you. That is a solid pick right there. They did, I did not have them on my list, actually, because, I, I, you know, the some of the WDF runs weren't quite what you would have hoped they would be. Butch Reed could, yeah. probably should have done a lot better in WDF, didn't, didn't quite pan out. And the one-man gang, man, I mean... Uh, I mean, yeah. solid work, or don't get me wrong, but uh, once he made that Akeem transition, oh gosh, I, <laughs> I don't know. That, that doesn't age well either when you go back no. and watch that stuff. Like, ooh, woof. Not not great. Not great, but uh, 
Certainly Andre, Bundy, and uh, Rude. Oh, yeah. Uh, Good stuff. No surprise that I have Rude on here multiple times. Uh, man, Rick Rude, what what a what a gem. Uh, yeah, I just I look at that team. I was like, God, these are all like just heels, and and like you said though, probably Butch Reed by that point, and even Gang, like they're you know work weight rise. Like this probably wasn't it, but uh, still, I just I don't well, know. Well, not to mention Andre too. But <laughs> well, I was gonna say I was trying not to put Andre in that group, but uh, yes, yeah, you I, know, I, but I think uh, it's yeah. And Hogan had a weird team too. I think he had he had like Ken Patera on that team. He had Paul Orndorff. After all, they've been through was on that was on that team. I Hogan was kind of he just kind of threw something there. Bam Bam Bigelow there during his brief early run. It was a it was a hodgepodge kind of uh, selection that Hogan had there. Not one, reason, of his, not one of his better teams. I was gonna say there's say. a reason his team lost in that one. Uh, it was because uh, he had uh, Don Morocco, Bunch, Bam Bam, Don Morocco, The Rock, yeah, <laughs> and then he Bunch had Orndorff. Yeah, like Orndorff. Like, was he? What the hell has he got Orndorff on the team for? Uh, this guy was, uh, I don't know. So it was even weirder and Piper and Snuka together, and at least Piper and Snuka were crazy enough where you would think they would team. Yeah, uh, that was just bad call on Hogan. So at least he learned, right? He learned. He put Jake and Axe and Smash on there a couple years later, so he figured it out uh, eventually. So good for him. All right, so now we've made it to the top five here. This is where things get good. All right, you're number five. Well, number number five, I mean, you, you know that early editions of the Survivor Series, there were there was always a ton of talent on these shows managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. The Heenan family was a big part of the, yeah, during this time <laughs> period. And uh, it seemed like every heel manager, heel wrestler had somebody managing them. That's what they did. But uh, So Bobby would always have a team on this show. And for my money, my personal favorite edition, we're going back to 1989. Of course, because uh, you had Andre the Giant, of course. You had Haku. With Haku, which, uh, you know, I, Haku's wrestling legacy has kind of been eclipsed by his legacy outside the ring of being, like, the biggest badass of all time, I think. <laughs> yes. We, we don't really think of Haku's in-ring stuff anymore. We just think of Haku being a badass. That's, yeah. what, we, that's what we associate with him now. And uh, the two other men on this tag team, of course, uh, Arn Anderson was there. And Tully Blanchard was supposed to be the fourth. Unfortunately, Tully Blanchard uh, failed a drug test, and he left wrestling for a very long time. So old Bobby the Brain himself <laughs> had to fill in. This is uh, just here you go. You talk about you talk about symmetry. This is my number five as well. So there we go. Like we we nailed these five or this one at number five uh, at least. I was thinking about that. I I actually watched that one not too long ago. I, I watched '89. I don't remember. It's probably a couple months ago. But I remember I was just like, man, if you had to have a replacement for Tully. Just throw Bobby in there. You know the role he's going to play. And sure enough, uh, I thought it was great just to, to have him on this group. And you talk about just a group of talent. Oh, man. Andre, like we said, Andre, work rate rise at this point. Not great. But Haku, Arn, like just like you had some enforcer. This is like the enforcer group here where you've got just Haku and Arn and Andre. Um, then, of course, Heenan stepping in. But, uh, yeah. I mean, you hey. know, the thing is, I mean, Bobby was Bobby was past his prime at this point. I mean, he's, he was up there in years. He, wanted, he hadn't been – he had done some wrestling if, if off, off and on, but uh, – Apparently, though, I mean, I've always been told if you go back to like the 1970s when Bobby was uh, more of an in-ring c- competitor, he was as good a worker as the guys he managed. Or we're talking about guys like Ray Stevens and Nick, Nick Bockwinkle, for God's sakes. I mean, right. no slouches, but Bobby was apparently just as good as at, as all of them at uh, you know the whole in-ring aspect and the performing and, and getting his shit kick, kicked out. I mean, he was, he was great at that. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, and that's uh, I love that team. But I know they got beat. Who was it? I think it was Warrior. 
the Rockers and uh, Nightheart. Wasn't I think that was the team that beat them? Yeah, that, um, that sounds right. And yeah, they had Brett and Jim on different teams for some reason. I I thought that was strange. That was yeah, they did that. <laughs> like I said, you had like Axe and Smash on the same team, and then you had Brett. Uh, Brett was on a team. He was on the four by fours. Which, by the way, just spoiler alert, they're not going to be on my list here. Uh, it was Duggan, uh, Brett, Garvin, and Hercules. Big Herc fan, but sorry. I see. I think there was a picture with them all carrying uh, two by fours too. So. Yeah. There you That's go. pretty good. Oh, thank Jim Duggan. Good good recruiter there to get Brett in there. So, uh, All right, so we both have that at number five. Heenan, Andre, Haku, and Arn, the Heenan family, 1989. So that brings us back to you for number four. And number four, we're going to go back to a team that you had on your list earlier, uh, Team Guerrero, of course. Yes. Eddie Guerrero, The Big Show, John Cena, Rob Van Dam. You're talking about four top talents right there. Eddie was at the top of his game. Big Show was making waves at this point. I mean, John Cena, he wasn't quite big match John just yet. He was getting there. He was moving his way up. He was the doctor of thugonomics and kicking ass, taking names. And RVD was still doing some good stuff at this point. Um, the, the thing about this is, now, of course, Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle had had some issues throughout that year. So they were picking teams with me at Survivor Series. And uh, Kurt Angle had the likes of Luther Reigns and Mark Jindrak on his team. Why did he think that was going to work? <laughs> Carlito, Carlito was also there. Well, what, I mean, are you talking about guys who weren't great recruiters? I think you have to add Kurt Angle to that list because, uh, man, he just he was scraping bottom of the barrel with this group. Jeez, old Pete's. I was going to say, if we would have did a top ten on the team captains, I think that, uh, and I don't know, some of these guys are like, I'm like, how are they recruiting some of these guys on their teams? Like, what are they thinking? Kurt wasn't a good recruiter, and I also mentioned the Honky Tonk Man had some of the worst teams out there. Yeah, well, I was looking back at this. I just pulled up Survivor Series 04, and I, I remember that. Like, Angle was the big heel in that one with the team. But I looked at the main event, and you talk about an interesting main event, uh, which, uh, again, these teams are not going to be on the list. But you had Randy Orton, Benoit, Jericho, and Maven taking <laughs> on <Yeah. laughs> Triple H, Batista, Edge, and Snitsky. So yeah. I, I don't. You could have just did like a six-man yeah. tag, put Maven versus Snitsky in a singles match, and called it a day there. I looked at both those teams as well, and uh, you can you can kind of <laughs> tell why they didn't. Make, there were a couple weak links there. Let's be honest. Just just a few, just a few. Um, all right, that I like that one. That's that's a good one. Like I said, I probably could have put that one a little bit higher, uh, maybe above uh, that Andre Butch Bundy gang rude. But oh, those guys, they just they know the way to my to my love. Um, all right, number four. Uh, I this is what I'm going to assume you probably have on your list too, because I think this is one that's sort of like that universal where you're like, man, this team, what a what a team this is. We're getting out of the '80s, but we're not going too far. Uh, 1990, uh, the Warriors, the Ultimate Warrior. Kerry Von Erich and the Legion of Doom. Now, what a what a backstory here with this group and kind of where they came from. Uh, and then, of course, it's like, you know, early 90s here, and you think about where all these people were at at that point. Um, the most sad thing to me, Steve, I guess, is that um, this entire group is gone. And, uh, man, yep. that's that's just brutal because— That's true. They're yeah. all no longer with us. That's a true story. Yeah. 1990, the Warriors, what a, what a team that was. That was a good team, and it was, it was such a good team that, guess what, my number three team? Look at that. The Damn. Warriors. That's right. <laughs> Dolphin Warrior, Texas Tornado, the Legion of Doom. And, you know, it's great symmetry, too, because you might recall back when uh, Kerry Von Erich was in uh, World Class, of course, making his name, he liked to call himself the modern-day warrior. Right. Uh, you know, he had the, that classic theme song by Rush, you know, and uh, – 
you might recall that the Legion of Doom, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. <laughs> you might recall before they came to the WWF, they were known as the Road Warriors. Wow, look at that. And that's the whole the whole reason that uh, the, the, the Dingo Warrior became a warrior in the first place was because warriors are you know? pretty popular. Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> and the reason you might recall, you probably heard the story where Vince McMahon was thinking about what to call this guy, because he didn't want to call him the Dingo Warrior, because for God's sakes, that's awful but uh, he was thinking well he's not the modern day warrior he's not the road warrior he's the he's the ultimate warrior, <laughs> ultimate warrior. there it is ultimate warrior bam <laughs> we're done okay so but yeah that's a that is a solid team right there that team has the best symmetry maybe of any group on this entire like any survivors team ever like just because of the symmetry there like you mentioned with the, all the name tie-ins and everything I don't know that anyone could beat that just from a symmetry standpoint. Maybe not just full-on talent, but symmetry, man, that's a group right there. All right, my number three, we're going to go back to one you mentioned earlier. I have them pretty high on this list, uh, and maybe it's because just, you know, right in my wheelhouse, 2001, what a group. You mentioned earlier, Team WWF, Rock, Taker, Kane, Jericho, Show. Uh, I just thought, man, from a talent standpoint, that's just uh, that's a group, and we already kind of covered that uh, the Alliance didn't do so well. Uh, but that is the number three that I have on my list just because, I mean, you've got Got five Hall of Famers right there, probably. So, uh, pretty pretty good group there at number three. Which leads us to man, we're into the top two now. This is going to be interesting to see where you go here with number two because um, I I don't know. Like maybe I just have some bias, but I'm starting to think maybe we have a a different top two. But I also think there may be one in there that we have the same. All right, number two. Well, I will say that my number two appeared earlier on your list, and we're talking about that tag team from uh, 1987 with Randy Savage yes. and Ricky Steamboat and Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, British Beefcake. And uh, I don't think we really delved into it too much earlier, but uh, the most interesting thing about this team to me is uh, you, we all remember the feud earlier that year between Savage and Steamboat. Those two guys went at it, and that feud is still uh, remembered, most, one of the most remembered feuds to this day. And to think that they're on the same team by the end of 1987 is something else. But also, if you go back to 1986, we had the big feud between uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jake Roberts. Yep. The dragon versus the snake. As Savage, Savage and Roberts had issues before, and they would have issues later on. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> so the fact that these three guys could get along uh, long enough to be on the same team. And, and I can only think of one thing that could have possibly brought, brought these three guys together. And that's a mutual hatred of the honky tonk man. Yes, that's true. I didn't think they all about hated, that. They all hated honky tonk <laughs> man. I mean, honky tonk beat uh, Steamboat for the title. He uh, kept bragging about being the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. He tried to hit Elizabeth with a get with a guitar, and uh, we saw what he did to Jake. Uh, pretty much messed up the neck for for the rest of his career. So, the only possible things that could bring those three guys together was that freaking honky tonk man. Oh. And. Uh, if I remember correctly, I want to say that uh, Savage, Steamboat, and Roberts were the three survivors there. I believe that's what happened there. I think that's correct. Yeah, because I know I know Savage and Steamboat, but yeah, I want to say Roberts was too. That would have been right. So, um, yeah, that's a like I said, it's I don't know. Like you look back at that era, like for that year in particular, like having all of those guys on the same team, man. That's uh, yeah. Maybe I should have put them a little higher too, because I think back and I'm like, that was like in these guys' wheelhouse, like right here in that year. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, the feuds and everything they had going on. What a what a crew that is. So, all right, my number two, and that tells me, and I forgot that you had mentioned that, that you still had that one on your list, but my number two is not even on your list at all, but I'm just going to say it up front. This is a personal bias. Um, this is one that 
look, it's my list. I realize they're not going to be this high on everyone else's list, but I had to put this team in here because I think they're my favorite Survivor Series team name ever. Rude's Brood is number two. They had Jacques and Raymond Rougeau on there. Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude. You had the genius and Jimmy Hart as the managers. They beat Roddy's Rowdies. I teased it earlier, but this is the greatest team name in the history of Survivor Series, in my opinion. So I had to put them on this list, and obviously I put them very high. You see their little picture. I remember they used to take the team pictures, like you said, with the uh, Duggan and the 4x4s and everything. Their team picture just screams like, we are better than everyone on this planet. And so there you go. Brood's Brood, number two. No, I mean, uh, I don't. They're they're not on my list, obviously, but that's not, I don't have a problem with them. I don't have a problem with the Rougeaus either, quite yeah. frankly. I mean, the one thing I always and you don't want to have problems with the Rougeaus. Uh, those are two connected people, if you know what I'm saying. I think <laughs> they have some connections uh, that you might not want to uh, be on the wrong side of, if you get my drift. But uh, <laughs> I also put the Rougeaus over for, especially Jacques. Jacques always had some of the greatest theme music of all time. Yeah. He was always singing songs about he's sung about being an all American boy. He's singing about being the Mountie and then not being the Mountie. He's just one of the one of the great things about the Rougeau is just the, the great theme music. Always always loved that. Of course, you know, Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, they had a long history together. And uh, you know, they were they were always really tight as part part of Heenan's family. Then later on Dice W we'd see them reunite and uh they'd always be coming out together. Rude was always by Hennig's side. So uh yeah, nothing wrong with that right there. Yeah. And they did beat the Rowdies Rowdies, I think. Unfortunately, as much as we love the chaos and the uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the craziness of uh, Rowdies' team, that ultimately it wasn't going to work out too well. No. You had, uh, yeah, Brood's Brood. Those guys were the ultimate heels, and they were going to figure it out. But, oh, I love the Ruchos theme music. It was just, and then, of course, they had the little American flags. Like, they were just, oh, they were over the top, but they were great. And then, you know, the two ultimate heels with Perfect and Rude. So uh, I just love that team. So that's why I have them uh, probably higher on my list than some people will, just because I love the name and uh, I just love the collection here of just heels, uh, something about that. All right, number one. And I don't know, we may have the same one, but I feel like this team would have to be on the top ten of anyone's. Uh, So I'm starting to think that we do have the same number one. But, uh, Steve, I'll let you unveil yours first. Well, we'll find out. This is one of the most one of the most interesting teams out there. I mean, you, you would, to think in 2020 that all these guys were ever on the same team is something uh, something confusing to think about. But I remember 2006. Uh, you know, there was a uh, Edge, Edge and Randy Orton had formed the team. They're trying to challenge Degeneration X for supremacy. You know, Shawn Michaels and Triple H were doing stuff, and they both formed teams for Survivor Series. And uh, quite frankly, Edge and Randy Orton they they came up with. Uh, Johnny Nitro before he was good. Mike Knox, Gregory Helms, yeah, not not the best uh, grouping there, but uh, DX did a little bit better. Shawn Michaels and Triple H, they found three guys. I mean, we're the Hardy Boys for God's sakes, uh, long-staying rivals of Edge, of course, and uh, you know they were Team Extreme, part of that same kind of time period. So those four guys all kind of mixed together pretty well. And then he had this youngster who was uh, part of ECW, <laughs> working his way up the ranks. Uh, Starting to turn some heads. I remember he got a chance uh, before this match even started because uh, a young man by the name of CM Punk was starting to gain the attention of the wrestling world. And uh, to think, you know, nowadays that CM Punk and Triple H and Shawn Michaels are ever on the same team. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. But, yes, it happened. It happened back in 2006. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, even then, you, it's, Triple H tried to steal a little bit of the kids' heat before a match, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. 
Crazy times, but uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, if I remember correctly, I think that uh, they all survived. I think that's right. I was actually pulling this up while you were, were talking. I'm pretty sure all five of them were still in there. Let me because you see sure. that team that 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 team that Edge and Orton came up with. My gosh. Oh yes, it, here it is. Yeah, it was a it was a clean sweep, and the thing is, it was a clean sweep in 11 minutes and 30 seconds, uh, according to Wikipedia here. So they they did a clean, just a clean sweep on this group in 11 minutes. So that tells you how good this team was. And no suspense needed. This is my number one team, too, uh, on my list because I just think back. I'm like, oh, my goodness, like Triple H, Sean, Punk, like you said, he was just starting to sort of come into his own, at least on, you know, on the WWE level. I think a lot of people would kind of, you know, well, known his sure, work. Yeah. yeah, but I guess still it's at the same time, you know, once you reach that level, it's like this guy, of course, took off from there. And the Hardys, I mean, even the Hardys at that point, like, I mean, they're still, like, these guys are still wrestling. Like, we're 14 years later, and it's just like, so, I don't know, man. This was just, this is one of those teams that I just look around, I'm like, I don't need to stack this team up against anyone because all of these, like, all five of these guys, given what they've done in their career, again, knowing what CM Punk was going to go on to do, knowing what the Hardys had already accomplished at that point, they'd do more. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Triple H and Sean. I mean, Sean goes on to have, arguably in some people's minds, the the best WrestleMania match ever with Taker. And, you know, Triple H is basically running the company here. So, yeah, quite, quite a quite a power group there uh, with those five. A selection of talent, to be sure. And and also, it's, it's still kind of weird to think that Triple H and CM Punk were ever on the same side. Yeah, my gosh, that is true. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Listen, there, there was another team on this group, and I'm I'm laughing because I'm pulling up the car here in 2006. I forgot about this, but I I found them when I was doing you know trying to figure out my top ten. I for completely forgot until I started researching this that Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair. Sergeant Slaughter <laughs> and Ron Simmons <laughs> took on the yeah. Spirit Squad. I forgot that uh, was the team. I was trying to think. I was like, who was it that faced the Spirit Squad? Because I knew they were still like, at this point, I was like, okay, these guys are still doing something. I was like, who did they face? And then I pulled up. I was like, are you serious? I don't. I barely remember it. But I, even Arn, like Arn was their manager, I think, at that point. Yeah, too. Arn was so, their manager. And I uh, remember this is, I want to say it was around the same time where Flair and Rowdy Roddy Piper won the tag team titles. That's right. I forgot about that. Oh my goodness! In 2006, you know, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't exactly not not the best we've ever seen of Flair and Piper. Let's just, let's just say that. I mean, I, I think Punk was probably. We talk about guys uh, kind of coming into their own. I don't think Flair and Piper were probably coming into their own in 2006. But no, uh, they come to their own about 30 years prior. Oh god, I forgot <laughs> it. Like 10, they beat them in 10 minutes. I'm looking here. 10 minutes, 31 seconds. Uh, the, you know, that, I'm kind of thinking now. I almost want. I'm wondering how old they would been in 2006. And I almost want to compare him to some of the guys that WD puts in main events now. That's true. I mean, <laughs> man, I, the only some of these guys are getting up there. I was gonna say the only one I remember coming back because it was Steamboat. Steamboat had that. What was it against Jericho? Um, yeah, um, he had that. He had that real great comeback run there for yeah. a couple months where he kind of. I mean, he wasn't quite the old dragon, but he was still damn good. That's the only one I remember thinking like, man, this guy came back and Steamboat stepped in the ring. It's like, oh my god, like this guy hasn't aged a bit. Um, but yeah, that was, um, that was an interesting group there, but I, I have to agree team DX, uh, that is number one on our list. And, uh, again, their objective lists, uh, we thought, uh, it'd be fun to do this heading into survivor series because Steve, uh, I don't really know about this survivor series, uh, as we, you know, we're still recording this basically a week ahead of time before we even know probably the full card at this point. But, 
Um, I don't know. Like these, these two, we talked about it on the previous podcast, sort of the, the, the champion versus champion thing. Sometimes you back yourself in the corner. You don't really know which way you're going to go on paper. Like this card, you know, you're getting the champion matches, but it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how many people are invested because it's the draft too. And we brought that up. Like some of these, th- you just do the draft so close to it that we're supposed to believe that, you know, AJ Styles is out here, just or just anyone, like anyone fighting for these groups when they've been on the brand for two weeks. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I just... And the uh, obsession over the captain thing, too, has uh, is yeah. gotten to be way too much. Like, I mean, it was easier back in the day when you had team names where you could figure out who the captain was already. Yeah, like bring like back Rude, the team Rude, names. Rude, you know, yeah. Rowdy's Roddy. So it was easy to figure out. So now everybody, I need to be the captain. And what happens if you're – does being the captain actually mean anything? Do you get anything special if your team wins for being the captain? I, not that I know of. Jim Ross in 88 would have said the champion's purse. Like, he would have got – like, he would have brought up, like, $15,000 the team captain. Like, that's the kind of stuff I want. But, like, even thinking about it, I feel like everyone – and we didn't mention this guy one time, but – I feel like everyone now, like on these teams, it's like the next Bad News Brown. Like everyone's just going to walk <laughs> out, right? Like I feel like that's the way they play it up every year. Like everyone hates each other. No one likes each other. And it's like, okay, who's going to be the first guy to walk out? Like I feel like they're they're putting everyone in the Bad News Brown role every single year now. So uh, I was talking about Bad News Brown earlier with some people actually because we were remembering the Survivor Series gimmick he had where I, I wonder why – I mean, okay, it's okay the one time he walks out. But then why was he recruited to a team the next year? Uh, I know. Like, back like did somebody years. really thought, oh, I can make him change. <laughs> I can make him be a team player. And no, that was never going to happen. Come on now. Bad News Brown, a man, you know, criminally underrated too. Never got the full push that he deserved because that man was a badass. Oh, he was great. Um, yeah, I just, I kept thinking about that. I'm like, literally everything they do now, almost, it feels like none of the team likes each other and, everyone's just like okay we don't want to be here and i'm like come on like that's what we talk about some of those teams like you had either this these five ultimate faces or five ultimate heels or four or whatever uh i don't know what let me ask you this because that's something i just thought about i was like we put we had so many 80s on our group here did you which now they couldn't do it because they don't do enough matches but i love the like elimination thing where you had whoever was the survivors at the end of the matches like then at the end you'd have like this put everybody on the same team and then you like what was that what was the, the year they did that was that, that was 1990 90 yes, that's right that. hogan i think it was hogan warrior and tito I yes say was the ones that <laughs> it was the uh and they went off they went against uh i want to say dibiase was there yeah and uh I remember the Visionaries made the cut because the Visionaries did a clean sweep. Is Rick Rude and uh, Power and Glory and uh, who was the fourth? I'm I've got to pull this up because I was trying to think of it earlier. Struggling to think who the fourth was. I remember. I remember being the first time that there's a clean sweep in the Survivor Series. Oh, it was Warlord. So you had Warlord and Martell. Right, it was um, and an awful, an awful yeah. random team to do that as well. When you think about it, <laughs> it was. I say it wound up being three on five. So they took the survivors from from the other team. So it was Hogan, Tito, Warrior. Uh, yeah, against DiBiase, uh, it was uh, Power and Glory, Martell, and Warlord. So, yeah, it only lasted nine minutes. <laughs> so, uh, they well, were probably they'd already worked earlier. I was going to say, they were probably like, why did we do this? And that's why we didn't see it again. Because it was like, that's oh why God. it never happened again. Yeah, because they decided it's a bad idea there. And then, of course, 1990, I think we all remember 1990 uh, Survivor Series for a couple of reasons. Yes. Um, one, which uh, we keep. You know, 30th anniversary of uh, session The Undertaker, yada yada. But there's no, another guy who debuted on that show, 
which is still remembered to this day as one of the greatest moments in Survivor Series history. And, of course, I speak of the uh, debut <laughs> of the big egg hatching and popping oh, out the gobbledygooker. The gobbledygooker, man. Yes. Oh, that's um, tremendous. Yeah. That, that would be number one on our list of Survivor Series debuts, I think, if we had oh. one of those. Um, yeah, Undertaker would be a close second, actually. <laughs> yeah, it may, may be close. Uh, oh, that that was that was uh, that was incredible. I'm just I'm, just, I'm thinking of the, the late Mean Gene, man. Just him trying to sell this thing was just. You know, when that thing was put together, <laughs> that all the drugs were being consumed by the bookers. All the drugs. Oh gosh. Well, at least they figured out how to put teams together and put team names on there that that made sense, and uh, at least they did a good job. With that but uh all right well there you go there are top 10 lists uh let us know what you think uh hit us up on twitter 411 uh whatever you want to do just let us know what what are some of your favorite uh, survivor series teams in history we thought it'd be fun to do that uh steve i guess uh nothing else too exciting oh i guess we do need to, to just touch on this real quick selena vega which has nothing to do with survivor series because she won't be there but um what do you think of how this whole thing went down there with her well, you knew it was going to happen at some point when the uh, WWE started putting their foot down about this uh, third-party business with Twitch and Cameo and all these sites where, uh, you know, where the, uh, the wrestlers were using their likeness to, uh, you know, get a little money on the side is what it is. I mean, not something I have a problem with myself, but, you know, WWE wants all the money that uh, talent make off such things because they're a corporation and corporations like money. So that's kind of how it goes there. And uh, Zelina was one of the people that... Uh, they weren't going to play along with it. They, uh, she, she stood up for herself. Uh, she kept doing the Twitch thing. She uh, even made her OnlyFans site. So uh, she was, she's not, she was standing up to the company, and the company uh, made a decision that uh, you would expect them to make. And, uh, you know, they're not going to win this PR battle either because, yeah. I mean, are we going to side with, are you going to side with Zelina Vega here <laughs> or with WWE? I think that's an easy choice for, for most people. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some that fall in line behind Vince and yada yada yada. But uh, uh, Zelina seems 100% the right to me, and uh, apparently, I mean, I guess she does as well as, uh, off these sites as, as well as she does off WWE, which doesn't say a lot for how they're paying people. Over there. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna bring that up. Like, I think that's the most fascinating part of this is you know all these reports talking about how you know she does probably make more money off of that than she does her actual WWE contract, and like I'm thinking. How many others could do the same? And I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think there could be quite a few. I was going to say, like, I'm wondering kind of what the next move is for others, which I know everybody's going to talk about what's going to, you know, where's she going to go? I know she's got the 90 day no compete thing. And everybody's saying, well, she, you know, she go back to Impact, she go to AEW, where does she go? But uh, I think there'll be high demand, obviously, for her. But I wonder how many others are looking the same way and say, you know what? We get out of this contract. And I mean, even if, you know, even if WWE doesn't go back, which everybody always is kind of talking about the live events and stuff, even if WWE doesn't go back to doing the live events, traveling however many days a year, 300 days a year, a lot of people say, man, that schedule. And well, what if I could do this? I could do the same thing, you know, like Selena Vega's doing, obviously different, but and not have to do and deal with all this and just say, hey, I'm going to make my money this way. I can go work for an AEW or an Impact and maybe not have that type of schedule. I don't know, man. I just, I look at it and I'm like, I wonder how many more of these people are going to try to do the same thing because it's different, which again, everybody has different goals, I think, in their careers. But for someone like her, this is the perfect move. And then I wonder for others, you know, it's, I don't know, there, there has to be some incentive there to think about, man, that this is a possibility for us now. 
Well, this is far from the end of the story. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of other stuff that happened. They'll, they'll fall out from this, and there'll be other people that will make decisions. And uh, we've already heard about, you know, uh, Selena Vega, of course, married to Aleister Black. Yeah. And that's a whole issue, too. I mean, Aleister's still under contract. And uh, there's reports that he wanted to go back to NXT, and WWE shot him down on that. And quite frankly, I'd be surprised WWE did much of anything with Aleister Black for the next however long he's employed. Maybe put him through a table. That's Maybe put him through a table every week. That's what they seem to like to do to people. So I don't know. He might he might try to find his own way out as well. I mean, that's I, I imagine I, I don't want to speak for people, but if I was in his position, I think I'd be highly inclined to seek a way out. <laughs> yes, probably. That's one of the things I brought up too. Is like you know everybody as soon as the Selena Vega thing came out, of course you know she had put the tweet up before, like ten minutes before, and everyone like everyone on social media is like running with this. They're like, oh my god, they fired her over the tweet. And I'm like, you know what? I can't even blame these people because, like, this is a company I think that would do such a thing. Like, I feel like if she would have put that out yeah. and not, like, I feel like they would have fired her ten minutes later. Like, that's the problem <laughs> is they've created, I think, this sort of per- perception. I think of how they run their business sometimes, and and sure, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff out there that's that's rumor and maybe not true, but. With some of the things they've done, I just think they put themselves in this position to have this PR nightmare because it is. It's one of those things, and good for her. Like I thought it was brilliant for her to put that tweet out there, knowing and jumping oh, she knew out what of, she was doing. Absolutely, she absolutely knew, she knew what she was doing there. That was yes. not an accident. No, I thought that was just a brilliant move on her part because uh, she knew the perception. She knew what the backlash was going to be, and everybody's going to connect to and say, "Oh my God, they fired her over this tweet." But that's something else. Like this is this is a problem they've created, and I will I will say that. Like I feel like if if you're one of the people that maybe feel sorry for them, I'm just like that they've they've created this own issue themselves. So. Zero sympathy over here, none whatsoever. You yeah, know? <laughs> uh, I don't I don't yeah I'm I'm with you. It's uh, we'll see. Like you said, it's far from over. I think it'll be interesting to see what else kind of comes of this. But a lot of other things go on, and uh, I mean, considering some of the political things going on these days, let's. Let's be honest, WWE is not quite in the same position they were this time last month. Yep, that is very true. Very true. We'll see. We'll see where it goes from here. But, Steve, as always, I enjoy it. Uh, Anything exciting you have on the horizon that you want to plug? Uh, This is a free plug zone here, so uh, plug away, my friend. Well, I mean, all the usual stuff at 411mania.com, the top sevens, the botch, the... uh, uh, you know, I re- did the the big turning point review. Yes. I get to do some reviews from time to time, so that's always that's always fun. Fun little show with uh, I saw you were a big fan of Deanna Prazo's yes. Young Love matches. I was I was as well. Very yeah. very good stuff there. I mean, we've put them over before. Impacts they're doing some good stuff over there. So they are. like to see that. Shot.com, of course, a lot of other wrestling stuff over there. And uh, 3psmag.com, I'm doing my weekly fantasy football podcast. And uh, yes. as far as I can tell, this football season's going to play out. So, <laughs> at least for now. Against right? all better judgments, they're, yes. they're going to keep on plugging. So, they're, they're, they're might just, as well play, right? Yep, they're, they're pushing through. So, uh, they've made it to week 10. So, we'll see. Um, seven, seven weeks to go in the regular season, and we'll see what the playoffs look well, like. Well, what convinced me was when Ben Roethlisberger wound up on the list, and they just kept on going because. I always thought it would take like a big name or somebody that the NFL is in love with to get on that list or get infected or whatever before they shut down. And once Big Ben got on the list and the NFL kept plugging, <laughs> I figured eh, they're good. It's okay. Yeah. 
Yep, they are uh, WWE pushing right through. Uh, they're just going to keep going right through this. So that's uh, like Roman Reigns staying home, right? Very yes, nice. that's there. You go. <laughs> yep. Uh, what do you know? So uh, check all that stuff out. As usual, Steve said we'll have the links to everything in the show notes. Check all that out there. But uh, Steve, thanks again, and uh, we'll do this again here soon. All right. Thanks again to Steve Cook for joining us here on the podcast. And as mentioned, be sure to check out all of Steve's work uh, over at 411mania.com, his weekly columns, as well as uh, his recent reviews. As we touched on, uh, he did review Impact Wrestling's Turning Point show. A really good show, and I would highly recommend checking that out, as well as Steve's review on it. Uh, So you can find that over at 411mania.com. For everything else, uh, you can also find that at 411mania.com. All of our weekly uh, live coverage on the big shows, Raw, SmackDown, Impact Wrestling, AEW Dynamite, it's all there at 411mania and uh, all of our uh, weekly columns and such as well. So check all that out, and uh, as I continue to say, we'll include uh, the link to the GoFundMe for Larry Zonka's family in the show notes, so continue to share that if you can. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, uh, any podcast app you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those. Uh, Just type in 411 on wrestling. That way you can subscribe to the podcast and get all the new episodes sent to you when they go up. Uh, For everything else, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WrestleBlake. And uh, thanks as always for listening to this episode of the podcast. And we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.